On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC, we are joined by NFL agent Ken Sarnoff for an interview. Ken represents several NFL players, including Lane Johnson and Creed Humphrey. We talked to Ken about the draft from an agent's perspective. We talked some local college football by taking a look at where the mock drafts have the OU and OSU guys going. And we finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Oh, man, Mike Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, April 29th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC Difference Program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or Raptor, and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordOfOKC.com for more information or go to the dealership and tell them we sent you. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. Please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and please let us know who you want us to try to get on the podcast. And Teddy, full disclosure, we had a guest lined up. The guests agreed to come. And then the guests stopped responding to us. <laughs> And that is a first. I knew it would happen eventually. And this is a this is a busy a busy time for said guest. It is that, it is that left us hanging. But this is the first time that we have been what what's the word the kids use now? Ghosted. Ghosted. Yeah. Ghosted. We got we, we got ghosted, man. We got ghosted. Oh man, it's brutal. But hopefully the door's still open. I'm I how do we approach this? Do do we play hard to get, uh, or do we just keep hammering? I have DMs? I have no pride. You keep sending those DMs, <laughs> but you keep sending them. But luckily, we so we, we were thinking of maybe something different, right? Because every podcast right now was doing the mock draft stuff. We already had Dane Brugler on. We went over all, all the OU guys, kind of the big storylines of the draft. If you want to hear that, go back a few shows ago and listened to our interview with Dane Brugler from the athletic. It was great, but 
you and I were thinking, okay, what's a different angle that we can take that really no one else has done. And you hear a lot about agents, right? When it comes to the NFL draft, who's representing these guys, what's that process like, what's the pre-draft process like, how, how much do the relationships with the front offices matter where, you know, where a guy's going to go, all that stuff. Like what do the agents hear from teams? And we thought that that would be a little bit of a different angle. So we got Ken Sarnoff who represented me when I was playing and he happens to have Creed Humphrey in this draft. So we were like, you know what, this could be fun and pretty good. Turned out good. No. Yeah. Perfect timing. I, it's cool to hear that perspective because, you know, we, we see it kind of maybe glorified on television, uh, you know, the Jerry Maguire stuff, obviously. It's cool to hear a different perspective, kind of what it's like, how things have changed a little bit since he got into the game. So I think it's really interesting. Okay, let's start with the local college football stuff. The NFL draft is upon us. One of the most wonderful times of the year now not for me it makes me super depressed i'm not gonna (laughs) lie i i I hate the three days of the nfl draft but it is exciting got a lot of in-state guys that are probably going to be drafted and especially you you look at oklahoma oklahoma state obviously zavin collins there at tulsa so Ted, it's going to be an exciting couple of days here in the state of Oklahoma for these guys. I, I, I am fired up. I, I can't remember being this excited for an NFL draft in a while. Like this, this one has me intrigued. Yeah, it's interesting the way the NFL has really played out in recent years. And someone may tell me that this is absurd, but it at least feels like there's been more trades Free agency has been way busier. We've seen quarterbacks move around more than than I think we're used to. We've seen some blockbuster trades, both with um, people moving slots for draft picks and people just moving around uh, players for draft picks. So it's been busy. I feel like the top 10 picks is going to be you know, something that could be pretty fluid on the day of. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much movement there is. Let's look at where some of these mock drafts have some of the local guys going. And mock drafts are not an exact science. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the draft can change when a guy falls. All you got to do is remember, hey, I don't think the Dallas Cowboys thought that CeeDee Lamb was going to be there last year in the first round. So, uh, I mean, things change. You know, team needs are what they are, but sometimes players fall and the plans change. That's just how it works. So Creed Humphrey, uh, the athletics mock draft has him going number 37 to the Eagles. McShay's got him number 47. And so that's the second round to the Chargers. And then CBS has him going in the second round to Kansas City. Sporting News has him going in the second round to Miami. So seems like there's several places that need a center now Corey Lindsley signed a huge deal with the Chargers so I'm guessing McShay thinks that Creed can play some guard and that could be a similar situation in Philly he could start at guard until Kelsey is ready to hang up but maybe 
he slips into the first round somehow. I think Baltimore in the late first, they need a center. Pittsburgh. And they love OU guys. Yeah. They do love OU guys. They're full of uh, OU offensive linemen. They just sent one in a trade, though. Um, What do you think about Pittsburgh? Is there any chance for Pittsburgh? What's Pouncey's situation there? Is he... He retired, didn't he? he did, did he? I think I think that may be right. So I, I feel like Pittsburgh may be a may be a spot. So I don't know because I think did I see that some spots had maybe Dickerson going to Pittsburgh? Yeah. So you know, and what do you? How does Creed compare to Dickerson from Alabama? He isn't. He's not as big as Landon Dickerson. Now. I don't think Landon Dickerson moves as well as Creed does. Uh, in fact, I know he doesn't move as well as Creed does, but he does have a reputation of being more of a mauler. He does. I mean, he does. But one thing about Dickerson, you got to you got to remember that injury history is pretty. He's extensive. Just coming off one, right? I mean, coming off he, the ACL, he's fresh. Yeah, fresh so, off of it. I I think Creed is a better center. I think Dickerson may be better suited at guard because he's like six five, six six. Mm-hmm. Like he is a he's a big dude. So it, it's going to be interesting to see which one of those guys comes off the board first. And, and don't forget the kid from Wisconsin Whitewater, the Miners kid that played well at the Senior Bowl. A lot of teams like him, but I still think Creed Humphrey's the best best center in the draft. I I think he should be the first center off the board, but it seems like the general consensus from all the mock drafts is that he is going to go somewhere in the early second round. Now, maybe a team really loves him, takes him late first. That would be awesome. I would be fired up if that happened, but it seems like early second round is where we're going to see Creed come off the board. So we may have to wait until Friday, but it would be awesome. Awesome. If he came off the board Thursday. Yeah. I I think athletically people are going to see something a little bit different in him than maybe like whenever you look at some of the times and stuff that the way he moved around, it's not. It doesn't really match up with what they asked him to do at Oklahoma. So I think you know there's a chance that people look at that and say, you know, this guy's way more athletic. He can offer way more than really what he's been asked to do. So yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I he's one of those guys that I, one of the few people that I've seen that have such a wide range of where people have them him predicted to go. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I just hope I, he finds a good fit. Yeah, I'm with you. And you know, Pittsburgh makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's he's good in the run game. He's good in the pass game. I think Pittsburgh had the worst ru- rushing offense in the league last year, yeah. which is weird to say. So, well, and, and people have them taking either offensive line at the end of the first or running back, which they desperately need a running back too. But you know, it's one of those things which is going to help your run game more: offensive line or a back. Right. So we'll we'll see. Okay. Ronnie Perkins. This is going to be interesting. 
right? Because he he was productive in the number of games he played last season, but doesn't have the elite measurables. We've talked a lot about that. So I I've seen some stuff where some people may think he can slip into the first round because he does play a premier position. Now he's not the prototypical prototypical body type for an edge guy, but if a team likes him, right? If they think he's one of the best edge guys in the draft, they'll have no problem taking him in the first round, but Mel Kuyper's got him going number 42 to the Giants. McShay's got him going number 36 to the Dolphins. Uh, CBS also has him going 42 to the Giants. And then I don't know what the hell Sporting News is doing. They've got him going in the fourth round to Seattle. I don't know what they're smoking, but I don't think there's a coincidence. That, that doesn't seem like a coincidence that more than one box got him going to the New York Giants with the 42nd pick. So that's pretty early in the second round. That would be overall for the type of year he had, right, missing all those games. That'd be pretty damn impressive if he still goes early second round. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the Giants would be a really good fit. But when I saw McShay have him go to the Dolphins, it just really it set off something in my mind that I had never really thought about before. And physically, he's almost a replica. But he's never played the position. But whenever you think about Flores at New England, is Dante Hightower comparison? I mean, they use him in a bunch of different ways. He doesn't just purely run Mike Backer. He'll line up on the edge. He'll, he'll be a part of the rush game at times. I don't know. That was just really interesting. And I started to think about some of the different guys that New England has used and how they've used some of those, you would call them kind of tweener guys. Like they're not quite a defensive end, but they're, you know, they're not big enough for your, like your traditional stand-up guy or uh, not, you know, the athletic of the traditional stand-up. I don't know. I just, I got really interested in that and, and wondered if, if Flores sees him as one of those type of guys. That's really interesting because when you think about Dante Hightower, and remember he opted out last year for the Patriots, which I think definitely hurt that defense, but he is similar in size. Now, I've played against Dante Hightower, or excuse me, I stood on the sideline and watched while Dante <laughs> Hightower played. He is a massive dude, yeah. but I think he's listed 6'3", 260. Yeah. So You're talking about a half-inch difference. And Ronnie size. Perkins is lighter right now, but you know as well as I do, when guys get to the NFL, it's almost an instant 10 pounds they put on. Just Easy. because there's not nearly as much – like it's just a different strength and conditioning. Um, so, I don't know. I just – when I saw the Miami, it just – I was like, you know, he does kind of have the feeling of, of what you would at times think of a New England kind of a, uh, you know, a Swiss Army knife, a guy that can do a bunch of different things. I don't know. So, that made that Miami sound really interesting. Yeah. That's it. That is an interesting thought, and. It- 
that'd be a hell of a situation for him going to put because Miami's going to be good for a while. I, mean, I, I, I think, love Flores. He's I, awesome. I think they found their guy in Brian Flores. Now, do they like their quarterback? Uh, to be determined. <laughs> but, There's a lot of pressure uh, coming up this year. Poor guy. I mean, it's only his second year, and everyone's already like, no, nah, he's horrible. Get him out guy's of here. This guy's the worst. Coming off an injury. Okay, Ramondre Stevenson. You, know, you look at Dane Brugler from The Athletic. He's got him going in the fifth round to the Arizona Cardinals. CBS has him going in the fourth round to the Carolina Panthers. Sporting News has him going in the fourth round to the Cincinnati Bengals. How many How many OU running backs can one team have? Honestly, that seems like it should be against the rule. Up. Let's just load them up. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. It's hard to it's hard to predict where Ramondre is going to go. I do think that he has a chance to be a solid NFL back. I don't think I think fifth round is probably sounding about right. It looks like at least right now that running backs are going to be maybe starting in the second round. So there's going to be good running backs that are on the board later than what you typically may see. So it may push everything back a little bit. Um, but he's a, he's a catch all back. That's got, uh, some good size to him, some smoothness whenever he runs, he's got power and he catches the ball out of the backfield. That's everyone wants more versatile backs. And he fits that, that little, um, that niche where you can do everything. Yeah. Maybe that's why the Panthers makes a little sense. I, I mean, when you think about, what Christian McCaffrey are I just want to double check before we talk about Christian McCaffrey are you over fantasy football from last season or is that is that still uh are you still holding on to that grudge with McCaffrey I'm still holding on to the grudge I I may allow him out of it if he doesn't miss an entire season because of phantom injuries that you know he doesn't even have jogging around on the sideline and then miss an ankle for six weeks I don't think so I'm sorry I brought it up, but when you think about McCaffrey's skill set, clearly Ramondre Stevenson is not Christian McCaffrey, but he he does a lot well, right? He he can block and pass protection. He catches the ball well out of the backfield. He's good in the screen game. He's a one-cut runner. He he's not Christian McCaffrey, but you could see how that would be a nice backup. For, for Carolina to where they look at it and go, okay, yeah, we can still do all the same stuff. Maybe not at as high of a level or really not even. I'm not going to say not close because it's not like Ramondre Stevenson's chopped liver or anything. Like he's a good player, but McCaffrey's just a stud. So, but when you think about the skill set, that makes some sense there. Yeah. And, you know, rule has a history he, he understands how good of a player he is he, he watched him up close and personal and has you know had some history there so yeah I mean that that definitely makes some makes some sense it's once you get to the fifth round I almost feel like any team in the NFL would take a back like Ramondre in the fifth round though right I mean no doubt everyone's looking for a guy like that um, everyone wants late value in running back, you know, because uh, the the position ages quickly. It's injured often. So you're always looking for good value later in the draft. So 
you know, I think that fifth round is probably right. Now trying to pick the team in the, in the fifth round, fourth or fifth round, that's, I mean, at that point, anyone's looking for a back like that. Right. Yeah. You're, you're looking at team needs. You get that late team start looking and going, you know what? I like that Stevenson kid. We'll take him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trey Brown, uh, the athletics got him going in the fourth round to the Steelers. CBS has him going in the fourth round to the Patriots. And then Sporting News has him going in the sixth round to the Atlanta Falcons. That would, if Trey Brown goes in the fourth round, I think that would say a lot about the way that he played at the Senior Bowl. Because, of course, everyone knew he was going to run fast. But the reports coming out of the Senior Bowl and everything that you and I watched, Ted, was that he really impressed people with his quickness, but his competitiveness. So if he goes in the fourth round, if he goes early day three, that feels like a huge win for Trey Brown. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I. <laughs> it's funny whenever you see that CBS fourth round to the Patriots – can you think of another uh, not highly sought after small corner that was ultra quick and ultra competitive that played for the Patriots? Reminds me kind of a Malcolm Butler type of guy. And, you know, that, that may be maybe what they could possibly see in him. Here's a guy that's, that's overlooked, um, uh, smaller, not, not one of the bigger guys out there, but he totally makes up for that with, with quickness and, and competitiveness. So uh, I think that would be a great pick, great fit. It, it's interesting, though, that it's just this off. It's it, whenever you go back and you kind of remember going through it, it's such a long time from your final college game, and it's even longer now to the draft. And uh, if the draft was right after the Senior Bowl, Trey Brown probably would have made some some headway because he he had such a good senior bowl. Uh, but you know, after that, it just the star fades and people kind of get lost in the shuffle. And you know, you go in and you're going to a bunch of pro days. It's just it's really hard to stick out at that point. But I totally agree. If if he makes it up into the fourth or fifth round, um, kind of from where he was, especially a couple of years ago, I think that's a huge win for Trey. Yeah, that would be really exciting to see him, you know, because that's a guy that's worked really hard at it, played some good football for OU. You know, he got some shit for opting out from the bowl game and all that stuff, but people will be really happy for him because, once again, OU needs to continue to have defensive players drafted. Mm -hmm. That is so important for the future of the program. That's why I hope Ronnie Perkins somehow slips into the first round. That would yeah. be huge for Alex Grinch, for Lincoln Riley to get guys. You know, like when you are having defensive players go in the first, second, third, fourth round, like that gets kids attention. That's what this team needs. Yeah. Well, the great thing about the draft and, uh, you know, 
you would say, well, who cares where he gets drafted as long as he goes somewhere and has a ton of success? It doesn't really work that way. You need the graphic, right? I mean, I, I hate to say that, but you need the back-to-back first-round draft picks to send out to recruits. You know, that's what that's what ends up selling. You know, if, if he goes and three years from now is, you know, a double-digit sack guy and making a Pro Bowl or something like that, it doesn't bite nearly as hard as whenever you can say it's a first-round draft pick. If you come to Oklahoma, you can get drafted in the first round. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. If he could slip in there, that would be huge for Oklahoma. They, it, w- what you said is so true. OU football put out a graphic today, and it is. It's all the first-round guys. They don't put anyone <laughs> else on there. It's right. all the first yeah. round guys. It's not it's not any of the guys that, you know, got picked in the fourth round and then signed great second contracts. No, they put the first round guys on the graphic for a reason. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean that's that's what sells. Cause everyone, you know, every five star out there thinks that they're and maybe they are, but thinks that they're gonna be the next, you know, top ten draft pick. And you you gotta play to that, man. You gotta play to that mindset. Yeah. Okay. Adrian Ely. Now, a couple of the mocks have him going undrafted, which I think is possible. But once again, you get into late day three, you get into the fifth, sixth, seventh round. It really just takes one team that likes you and feels that you are worth the draft pick. The CBS mock draft has him going in the fifth round to the Las Vegas Raiders, which. I think that that would actually be an interesting fit for him. I still think that Adrian may be a guard. Uh, I think that's where he would have the most success in the NFL. But there were, and going back to the senior bowl, there were some reports, you know, kind of later in the week there that he was really starting to move people in the run game that You know, he was kind of getting more physical, more of a Mahler mentality as the week went on, as he got more comfortable there in Mobile. So that sounds like a Raider if I've ever heard one, but it'll be interesting to see where he goes. This is a guy that when he declared, I thought it was a mistake and wasn't very, you know, I I, I wasn't very shy with that opinion, but I'm still hoping for the best for him and if he goes in the fifth round I think that would be that would be huge I'm not sure he's going to go that early if he goes at all but fifth round I will be doing jumping jacks from a man Adrian Ely if he goes that early yeah well you know I feel like I feel like people have him as maybe late round gold I he he I think he's a guy that can definitely play in the NFL. And if you can get offensive linemen that can play on your team for three, four, five years in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round, that is an absolute win. And I think whenever you start to get into those later rounds, and we've talked about this before, beating those guys have a really good track record in the NFL. And I think that matters. I do. I think it matters whenever you start to get to those late rounds that, 
the reputation is so good and those guys have, have been good value players in the league that think someone will take a flyer on him. Yeah. Uh, Trey Norwood is the last guy for OU. And uh, I looked at a bunch of mock drafts. The only mock that's got him getting drafted is the CBS Sports mock. And it's actually got him going in the fifth round to Tampa Bay. So I, I'm not sure. He's going to get drafted. If I had to pick one or the other, I would say he goes undrafted. But once again, this is a guy that showed a lot of versatility at OU. I'm just not sure he has anything that teams can look at and go, okay, yeah, that is like this, you know, really stands out. And usually you got to have something for a team, but maybe it is that versatility. And if he goes in the fifth round, just like Ely, like if he, he goes that early, I mean, that is huge for Norwood. Well, one of the things about Norwood is uh, his numbers don't necessarily stand out either statistically or testing wise, but you've got to do a deeper dive on Trey Norwood to get the full story. You, you got to know that he was injured right before the season, the year before, right? So he spent a whole year recovering. There was no spring. There was no summer. He came back for his first training camp. Hasn't played football in a year. Hasn't been around the team in a year. And he misses 28 days of practice through coronavirus contact tracing which you know is absurd that he spent that much time away from football and was able to come back work his way onto the field and not only did he have to come back after going through all of that he also didn't have a home he played corner they he played safety he had to understand what was going on at nickel in case he had to play there so the guy it was just it was a brutal last two years for him, two seasons for him. But if you can look past all that, you see that there's a really good football player underneath here. Now, he's not going to blow you away testing, and there's not going to be a whole lot of really good film on the guy, but he's a good football player. So I think the most important thing for him is just getting into a camp somewhere and getting an opportunity. It's going to be difficult, but he's a good football player that can play a bunch of different spots, and that always helps. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. All right, our call your shot question was, what's your boldest prediction for the OU guys in this year's NFL draft? And got a lot of responses, but I, I suppose boldest is, you know, some people interpret that one way, some people interpret it another way. This one, this one was definitely bold, and that was that, Creed Humphrey is going. Oh, this comes from Bourbon Hamilton. Bourbon, B E R B O N. What an interesting okay. name. Nice. Bur Bourbon, Bourbon, Bourbon. He says Creed is going number 10 to Dallas so he can replace Travis Frederick. Woo. Wishful thinking. Uh, that, uh, that is I bold. Mean, I would love that for Creed, but 
the Dallas fan base would not be happy about that. <laughs> that would be – listen, I love Creed, but you don't draft centers that early. You just nope. don't. Nope. Okay, well, Jalen Ross on Twitter, at underscore Jalen Ross, says Ronnie is the first Sooner off the board. Late first-round pick, Creed ends up in Kansas City. That yeah. seems fair. Yeah. Uh, that's Do you that's think it, do you who do you think will be the first guy off the board for him? Uh, it's 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 too hard to say. I think they're I think they're both right there, you know? I mean, it depends what happens at the end of the dra- well, it depends what happens at the beginning of the draft and who's going to be sitting there maybe at the end of the first round that you didn't expect and it kind of throws everything off a little bit. Um, you know, w- once that happens, it seems like teams almost panic a little bit and weird things happen. But I think here's the thing, man, Ronnie's Perkins film does not lie. And the upside, the potential is totally there. And it would not shock me if someone saw him as a, in, I know athletically he doesn't stand up to this, but you know, just body type wise and production on the field. If someone's like, like this guy could be a uh, Khalil Mack type of player, or, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know how teams view him, but the thing is, is whenever he's on the field, he's a game changer. I will we'll figure out where to put him, but he's a game changer. We got to have him. And I think there's, I think he has the potential in the NFL for first round type of production. So it's whether or not someone else sees it. Yeah, and then the last one, this comes from our our man at Spray underscore Richard 12, who, by the way, is a good sport and is a real person. Our man Dick Spray is a he, – he listens. He's fantastic. Dick Spray, we appreciate He's the you. Man. He the man. He is the man. He says – Top draftable guys from OU get drafted by the AFC West teams. Ronnie to the Chargers, Creed to Kansas City, Ramondre and Trey to the Broncos. Okay, first of all, look at our man Richard Spray's knowledge of the divisions and just placing everyone. I'm impressed. I have no idea if that's going to happen. But Creed to Kansas City makes a lot of sense. I know they signed some interior guys in free agency, but – Makes a lot of sense if you can get a guy you think will be your center for a long time sure. late in the first round. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And not only in and you've you've hit on this, but he versatility. He can play a bunch of different positions where he may be your future center, but if you're okay there right now, he can play guard uh for the short short term. So yeah, and I mean, they signed Thune, they signed Blythe, they signed Kyle Long, came out of retirement, signed with them. So, uh, I mean, they've got some guys. It'd be be a fun competition, but what we'll see. Now, looking at some of the Oklahoma State guys, Tevin Jenkins, Kuyper's got him going 20th to the Bears. McShay's got him going 25th to Jacksonville. I will tell you this, Teddy. I interviewed Mike Gundy on my serious show. He told us Tevin Jenkins wasn't getting past 25. 
I don't know what Gundy knows, but he sounded like he knew something. And he was like, oh, there's no way he gets past 25. I, I don't think that was a, uh, a, just an arbitrary number he threw out there. Right. Is he that good? That is a great question. For me, he, he has flashes. He was a little inconsistent for me on tape. And I know you, you watched a lot of them when we were getting ready for that game. You'd have a couple plays where you were like, holy shit, look at this kid mall people. And then he'd get, you'd catch him leaning. He'd have his weight distributed all weird. He'd look bad. And I was just like, wait, how is this the same player? That was, that was my thing with him is if he would have played dominantly, like consistently, it would be one thing. I understand teams that see his good plays and they're going, Oh my God, look at this kid. But he had, he put some bad stuff on tape and then had the back thing, did the opt out thing at the end of the year. That whole thing was a little weird, but I think he's a player. Uh, I mean, he can absolutely play. And the thing about the NFL, and it was kind of my issue is, dude, you just got to be strong. You got to be strong to play at the line of scrimmage in that league. And he's got some plays on tape where you're like, this dude can move people. So, yeah, I think think he's going in the first round. I think he's going to be the first guy from the Big 12 off the board, honestly. Here's the thing about coaches that I think holds true at all levels. Coaches always massively um, over overshoot or over um, overestimate is the word you're looking for. Overestimate their own ability to coach. So if you show the flash and you've got the athleticism, it's like, well, once I get my hands on him, he'll be unstoppable. So if you can find the flash and you can back that up with numbers from the combine or pro day, then teams will take a shot on those guys. And he had one hell of a pro day. So it checks off. I also, once again, Gundy threw out 25. Jacksonville picks 25th. Mm-hmm. Urban Myers, now the head coach there in Jacksonville. I don't know what kind of relationship Gundy and Urban Meyer have, but it's probably more than nothing. So when he said it, I was like, okay, he sounds like he knows something. Now, once again, some guys may fall. This whole thing gets shuffled, and maybe Tevin Jenkins doesn't go by 25, but it, it seems like somewhere in between 17 and 28 is where we're going to see Jenkins come off the board. So uh, I think he's he's going to be the first player from the Big 12 Conference, come on, him or Merrig from TCU. So Good player. Well, yeah. I think Mike Gundy probably – not probably, definitely spoke to Urban Meyer about Tevin Jenkins. But what Mike Gundy fails to realize and what everyone else knows is that Urban Meyer will lie. 
<laughs> you know, That's so true. there's a track record there. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put your money on the fact that he definitely won't go fall past 25. Okay. Tylen Wallace McShay's got him going, uh, 62nd to green Bay, a bunch of other mocks have him going in the second and third round. I would take this guy in on day two and not even hesitate. I think Tylen Wallace is an absolute player. His route running at the senior bowl, he was putting dudes in a blender. Turns out he ran by all those guys in his big 12 career because he was really fast. So ran well at pro day is a tough dude played through injuries. Like, I think he is one of the easiest Oklahoma State players for me to root for. I I love his game. Like watching him at Oklahoma State. And I I think that anyone – if you can get that dude in the third round, that feels like a steal to me. I think he is going to be a stud in the slot in the NFL. The problem is, you know, everyone's, everyone's got him on their board like he's the ace up their sleeve, you know. And you know that it's going to start to get it's going to start to get hot in the room at one point, and everyone's looking at that pick. It's like, God, we thought we'd be able to hold off until the third, but you know, I, I feel like he may be one of those, you know, day number two movers that may become. It's a pick that comes out of nowhere because people start to sweat it a little bit. Thought they were going to be able to maybe get him later, but uh, you know, not the case. I just. I feel bad. I will feel horrible watching him go in the third round because that's a first-round player. And it's, the same awesome. thing with, it's the same thing with Chuba. Now, I don't think Chuba's a first-round player, but where he's going to fall to, I feel bad because he came back and wanted to go do something big with that football team, and it just turned into a disaster for a yeah. bunch of different reasons. All, all the mocks I looked at, and once again, mock drafts are not a uh, not an exact science, but the the majority of them have him have him going in the fifth round. Uh, a lot of them have him going to the Houston Texans, and several have him going to the 49ers. So, I would love to see him in that 49ers scheme. I think he'd fit great in that scheme. Uh, I think that. Shanahan would be able to do a lot with him, but stretch it, make one cut and try and get off to the races. It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome to watch, but man, for a guy that, you know, came back, remember this was a guy, Hey, maybe he comes back and he's a finalist for the Heisman. Hey, maybe he wins the thing. Mm -hmm. And now you look at it and he's staring middle to late day three, right in the face. And Sometimes it works like that. So the next time you want to criticize someone for leaving and not coming back, remember Chuba Hubbard. It doesn't. It's it doesn't always work out. I mean, it doesn't. It's just the. Uh, it's it's one of the things that can happen, Ted, and it's unfortunate that it happened to Chuba, but running he'll, back he'll end up somewhere. Spot. Running back is. That's the tough spot, man, it, because there's like maybe one or two outliers at running back a year. 
But then the rest of the group, you can almost package everyone up and say that this is going to be the same guy in the NFL. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to really set yourself apart. And it's yeah. a position that over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years has totally been drafted in a completely different manner. Yeah, there's no doubt. Rodarius Williams is a guy that I'd forgotten about a little bit. I mean, looks the part at corner, uh, probably doesn't run as well as you want him to, but uh, several of them have him going undrafted and then a few have him going in the fifth or sixth round. So we'll see what happens with Rodarius Williams, but not really sure. But that's uh, it, it's going to be a fun draft, especially for the local guys with, with all the OU guys, with Collins at Tulsa with the Oklahoma state guys, it's going to be really fun to watch and, and I'm excited about it. Okay. Let's get to our interview. But first, first fidelity bank is a full service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB making mobile deposits, paying bills online and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. And guys, spring is here and you know what that means. It's hard seltzer season. And there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. I dare you to try the mango guava and say it's not incredible. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at, at Will and Wiley. It is our pleasure to be joined by one of the best agents in the game. He represented me back in my playing days. He's a terrible person, but a good agent. No, I'm just kidding. Ken Sarnoff is in the house. What's up, man? Hey, man. How are you? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. We see you. We're, we're we're still we're still breathing, man. So we're yeah. uh, you know still living off all that all that that huge cash I made playing football. <laughs> You're doing okay, huh? Yeah, we're we're making it. You got now, a good second career going right now. Yeah, it's going, you know, going decently and glad yeah. to have you on, man. And thanks, buddy. So with the draft coming up this week, it's you know, a lot of people talk about mock drafts. And we've kind of done that thing already. So I wanted to take a little bit of a different angle with it, and that's the angle of the agent's role in this entire thing. So you're representing Creed Humphrey. In this draft, you're you also have Jack Anderson, who uh, is projected to go pretty high, uh, the tackle out of Texas Tech. But just from the pre-draft process, or let's start with the recruiting process. Like yeah. as an agent, how do you kind of zero in on the guys you want to go after? If that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of it for me personally has been referral and word of mouth and uh, a certain, I'm looking for a certain high character guy. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for 
geez, since 1997. So I kind of have an idea of what I'm looking for at this point, uh, frankly. And, you know, it, it certainly helps to be in at a school or, or know people from that school or uh, a good program can certainly help. But basically, you know, you get the reports of who's going to be good and maybe you have a connection somehow. Maybe you uh, had a, a cousin of this, that player or something like that. Just wh wherever you could kind of find an inroad, you try to take advantage of that. And it seems like recruiting starts earlier and earlier every year, but uh, hopefully you try to use any connection you can. And then, you know, there's the process of setting up meetings and uh, it's a kind of long, arduous process, to be honest with you. You can, you know, you meet with family, you could meet back as we can start for next year's class. Uh, many agents already are starting next year's class. Um, and so you're building those relationships within a program within you know, the people you represent and hopefully you, you end up with a couple good ones when the draft comes around. You know, as, as the draft gets close from the player's perspective, you know, there, there's anxiety. You're not going to get picked. You're not going to get picked where you wanted or as high as you thought maybe. And all these terrible thoughts enter your head. What's going on in the agent's head? Uh, I'm sure you're having conversations, but are you like, where are you tonight? You are not going out. You're staying home. Like, what's, right. what's your anxiety level leading up to the draft? My anxiety is not on the players going out and partying or doing something stupid because I feel comfortable with the guys that I have, honestly. So I'm not worried about that. I've, I've kind of done the homework, the legwork on that part of it. Everybody knows what's at stake here. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, I'm working with Creed Humphrey. I'm not worried about a Creed Humphrey going out and, and blowing this thing at the bars at, at OU tonight. Uh, same with Jack Anderson. They know what's at stake. You know, they've worked their whole lives to get to this point. Um, so I try, you know, and part of the guys that I try to identify to work with as rookies, I want high character guys that understand that this is a job now. Um, so I'm not worried about that at all. What you are worried about is managing expectation, uh, disappointment. You're, uh, worried about, you know, Hey, that something could happen that really through no faults of the player. I mean, the hay is at the barn at this point, you know, everyone is, um, there's nothing more that the Creed or Jack can do to improve their position. It, it's a done deal. So you're just trying to get information from teams and then maybe tell that information, like, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm hearing. You know, let's look at, at this is a possibility for you. And then you're following what's going on around the league. Um, there was a big trade with an OU guy last week with Kansas City and Baltimore, right? That could have an effect on Creed. There, there's just things that, that happen. Uh, so you're trying to keep abreast of every move that's going down and how it might affect your players. If you were representing a quarterback and the Bridgewater trade came today, well, that could change things with how picks eight or nine go. So you're just really trying to stay up on everything and really know the market as much as possible. At the same time, make sure you're communicating with your clients uh, so they can say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about the draft. Here's what we're, we're looking at and, and we'll see where it goes. So a lot has been made about how different this off season has been in the pre-draft process, right? No combine right. there in Indy. It, it made, it made it feel like the senior bowl was a lot more important, even though it's really important every year. Have you kind of felt that way? Like has the process felt different for you and for your clients than years past? Well, certainly without having Indy, it was, it was different, but I also believe that the, the cream is going to rise to the top and the better scouting staffs and the more organized organizations uh, that have better people in them are going to do better in this thing. And the ones that aren't as good, just like every other year, you know, everyone's on a level playing field, right? So as long as the rules are all the same, like I, I thought last year 
You know, they had no OTAs, for example. But we still had a full season. You still had a Super Bowl. And I don't think the regular fan could see much difference at the Super Bowl when Kansas City was playing Tampa Bay versus the Super Bowl of the years past. So I think that ultimately, as long as it's a level playing field, of course, there were differences with, you know, without there being a combine and stuff. But I still very much expect that the scouting got done where, I, you know, you read a lot saying that that there's going to be issues might be on some of the medicals. And I think that if players have medical questions, that could really work against them this year, more so than in years past. Uh, just because if they didn't get a full medical workup uh, to the level that might have been expected, that could that can really hurt them. There were 150 guys that were brought to Indianapolis and the other guys that were invited to the combine that weren't brought did like local, um, you know, checkups and things like that and getting MRIs locally from, you know, where they were at. But I think that could could come into play. But ultimately, I think everyone's on a level playing field and I think we're going to have a good draft and I think teams are going to make mistakes and I think good teams won't. Kind of a related question, maybe on a, a, but a much bigger picture. You've been doing this a long time, over 20 years. Well, how much has it changed from when you started to where you are right now? The, just the total draft process. I know the calendar has changed a little bit, but do teams approach it differently? Do players, agents approach it differently? Or has it stayed pretty much the same? Well, it's funny because when I started, it was really the beginning of combine training. I mean, like Mike Mamula was like the first combine workout warrior that happened in 1995. I came out in 1997 training was beginning and it was kind of like, you know, it kind of felt like taking paying for like an SAT class or something like that. You know, Hey, here's an extra advantage. Now you could never sign a top notch player and be like, Hey, you should really stay at school. You just don't see it. There was a couple programs that had that going for a long time. Like university of Iowa would always keep their guys at, at, you know, the university to work out with, you know, their straight coach. Um, but basically now it's an automatic, the expense has grown significantly, like to get a top two top player, the expense has gone, has grown up, has gotten a lot bigger percentages tend to go down. You see that a lot when you're sitting there and competing, if you're on a top 25 guy, all of a sudden you're hearing a lot of 1%, you know, which, you know, standard agent fee is 3%. You didn't necessarily hear that as much, uh, you know, in, at the turn of the century. Uh, so there were differences. There was differences. There's difference in the game. I mean, you guys both played when, you know, when in the early 2000s, when a guy got his bell rung, they called it getting your bell rung and they sent him back out to play. There was no concussion protocols and things like that. So there's been changes like that. There's changes in the player. There's, you know, players are quote unquote brands now. You know, you hear a lot more of that. What are you going to do to get my brand? Uh, you hear a lot more. I need a blue check. You know, I was like, what's a blue check? You know, like that became like a, a big thing. No, you don't need a blue check of money. You need a blue check of an Instagram verification. That's like a big deal to a lot of these kids right off the bat. So I think the social media landscape changed things. I think the kids changed in that regard. Uh, there's more, you know, hype around the draft. Of course, there's more information available. Everybody's a mock draft scout, scout now. Everybody's got, you know, opinions. There's just an information overload, right? Um, so I think in those ways, it's changed. But at the same time, it's still, you know, scouts grinding. It's still, you know, getting the best players you can get. There's still the uncertainty. Maybe the game has changed. You know, you see quarterbacks now that they're more dual threat and all that kind of thing. But in terms of how scouting works and all that kind of thing, there's just more information, more analytics, more questions, more overkill, more preparation, more everything, really. That's kind of how I would describe it. You know, so it's just more intense. It all just kind of, and it seems like even like when Gabe was going through it, it seems like it's even escalated since then. You know, well, everyone I can wants that leg that, up. Yeah. 
used to, um, if a team, I guess it was much, much harder for rumors and stuff like that to just spread like wildfire like they do today. Any yeah. Tom, Dick, or Harry can say something. Yeah, and, and then it, it goes viral. Like it, it spreads like wildfire, yeah. It really does. And it's viral, and it's just the, the intensity of it all. And, you know, the uh, look, taking the draft from city to city and stuff, and it's just an ever-growing event, you know. And uh, it just, you know, when they say in that uh, concussion movie, the NFL owns the day of the week, they're not kidding. And they certainly own the draft. I remember when I sat in the draft room, uh, they were getting popular the draft will be that how how the ratings will be and he said that you know hey today is like uh, over the weekend or, or tomorrow night it'll be game six of the nba you know nba playoffs or something like that and he's like we will destroy them in ratings and it was like a great game it was like miami boston it was like game six or game seven and he was like they won't even hold a candle to what we will get and he said there'll be 40 million people watching this tomorrow night um, you know, and that's, that's what the landscape is. Uh, it's, you know, cities and it just, it just keeps on growing and growing. It really does. So you mentioned having Lane in that draft, obviously he goes fourth overall. And I assume that you develop a good relationship with the front office there in Philly. And then you've got yeah. a couple guys on the Chiefs, So I assume you develop a good relationship Absolutely. with the front office in Kansas city, how important for you is it to establish those relationships in front offices? I, I know that anyone that thinks the agent is going to get a guy drafted, like that's, that's just really not how it works, but how important is it for you and what you do to have those good relationships so that you're not costing any of your guys a chance in any organization or anything like that? Absolutely. I look at it you're it's like playing best ball golf if you're ever in a foursome right so you want to kind of work together to get where you need to be versus being adversarial is like playing tennis in my opinion you're better off playing best ball golf with an organization with the front office because it's an information business so you know obviously you want to get the best deal for your player you want to do everything you can but you also need that front office you want to be on the same page to have the player have the best success that he could possibly have you're working together. And if you have a relationship, hey, where something's come up, you want to be able to call that front office or that front office to call you is a two-way street. They need you and we need them. So you're best off, you know, treating people right and knowing that you're not, you don't want to beat somebody over the head too badly because you're going to go back to that well again. You can't, you know, have a scorched earth policy where you kill somebody in the media and then you're going to have another player there next year. You know, Abraham Lincoln once said a different client, different day when he was uh, arguing a case before before a judge. But the truth of the matter is you are going back to these people. So that relationship, it's a relationship business, bottom line. And, you know, when I look at uh, I've been in a long time and, you know, surviving and it's kind of like being in a crap stable. In order to win a craps, you got to stay in the game. In order to stay in the game, you've got to have the relationships that keep you in the game, whether a scout is telling you who's a good player, whether you're telling a, a team who's not a good guy, you know, things like that. Maybe there's a give and take there. You build the trust. That's how business gets done. And if you want to stay in this game, you'd best have good relationships with the front office people. You got any good stories? You know, everyone, we've seen all these 
you know, dramatic takes on, on draft, like the Kevin Costner movie, right. And all these dramatic things happening on draft day and all the different phone calls that are happening behind the scenes. You have any stories like that where you're getting maybe multiple calls and and different things are happening and, and you're just, it's like one of those, those, those scenes out of a movie where there's so many things going on behind, but, out there on the surface, there's a player sitting there. Everything is calm and normal. Guy comes out and announces a pick, but no one has any clue what actually just went down. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of emotion on draft day. And and regardless if you're a first rounder or if you're an undrafted free agent, there's a tremendous amount of emotions. And so I've had the full gamut. I've had teams – I undrafted – what uh, I had an undrafted guy where they signed my guy to a contract and they signed the wrong guy. They were like, oh, we didn't mean to actually call you about him. They actually screwed up the guy's name. And I tell my player that he just signed a deal. And they go, oh, my bad. The scout was like, oh, my bad. I didn't mean to sign him. And I had just <laughs> called my client. I mean, I was like, are you kidding me right now? I was like, I was going crazy on that guy. I mean, just like the blood pressure. I mean, through the roof. I mean, that's like a, you know, a pretty terrible story, really. But I also had a fun one with like Lane Johnson. Um, he went pick four. And usually, you know, right before the draft, if you're watching round nine, especially at the top, you know, 10, 20 kicks, the agent's not saying anything with the team. But with Lane, I was really thought he could go pick three. And I was trying to get Detroit. Detroit uh, had pick five. And I really wanted him to go to Detroit at the time and be pick three. And I was trying to get Detroit to trade up and jump Philadelphia uh, to get to three. And so I get a call from an ESPN reporter. And she's basically on, you know, she's like, I'm going on air in five minutes do you feel that the Eagles are interested in Lane Johnson at pick four? And I said, not only do I, now keep in mind, agents don't really go on the record at this point, or at least they shouldn't, but I really wanted Detroit to make this move. And I said, not only do I think the Eagles are interested in Lane, he's on the phone with them right now. He's talking to Howie Roseman, their GM. And she's like, really, can I report that? I'm like, absolutely, you can report that. Please report that. And I was like, quote me on it. So Howie could, you know, take, so anyway, pick three comes around, right? Miami has the pick and they go, the Dolphins are on the clock. And all of a sudden there's one camera in the green room and they come running over to me and Lane and Lane's family there. And they're pointed square at us. And we're like, wow. And Lane looks at me, he's like, we're going to Miami pick three, right? Okay, cool. But I really didn't, I really didn't think Miami was going to be in the market for a tackle. So all of a sudden the camera's pointed at us. It's pick three. The one camera is there and they go with the third pick of the draft, the Dolphins select. Deion Jordan. And we're like, what the hell? You know, and the camera runs away from us. It just <laughs> runs down to Deion Jordan to the other side of the room. And we're like, okay, now it's pick four. And now I feel good that he's going to end up in Philly. And, and Detroit had told me they were, they were trying to make the trade, but uh, Miami, I guess, wanted a second or something like that. And actually Oakland had made a trade and Oakland had trade out. And Miami, Oakland was asking too much for them to do it. And they wanted a second round pick and they wouldn't part with it. So, Long story short, the uh, no trade takes place. Fourth pick comes. Camera comes back to us. Lane's eagle. GM calls me. He's like, dude, you are absolutely killing me, you know, with, with, the, with the quotes, telling me that, you know, telling, it, telling the NFL that I was on the phone. I was like, yeah, I was trying to get him to go pick three. So, you know, it was kind of a fun <laughs> one, you know. But, you know, it's funny because in that, at, in that time, there's a million-dollar difference in the top five. At, at the, in 2013 so you know a million more went to the first million you know take a million off each time so going pick three would have been a good thing but worked out very well for him going pick four 
Yeah, I'd say uh, yeah, I'd say pick four has uh, yeah. has worked out fine for our man Lane. <laughs> okay, you're you're repping Creed in this draft, yeah. and uh, I know you're you, you only know kind of what the conversations are with the teams right now, but right. what do you think the chances are? Any chance he slips into the late first round? I think he's the best center in the draft, right? I have been very vocal about that. Uh, I think any team that takes another center before him is mistaken, but what are you kind of hearing and how do you set those expectations? You mentioned that that can be kind of difficult, like, keeping those expectations down how difficult is this situation where it's kind of a borderline first or early second right. round guy well it's really not difficult because he's an awesome guy and he gets it and you know we've had talks about this is just the beginning of your career and whether or not you go in the first or second you're going to play 10 years and you're going to be in pro bowls and that's his mindset he's just as you guys know a special guy so you start with that but the thing about it is it's the value of the position if the center position had the value that other positions do, like the left tackle position or stuff like that, there's no question he'd be off the board in the first round. I share your belief that he's the best center in this draft. Other teams share that belief. And then you look at, okay, who needs a center? So, you know, does Baltimore need a center? And now all of a sudden they just, you know, you know, made a trade and got an extra first round pick. Could that be a possibility? Sure. Um, you know, do they also like Dickerson at Alabama? They do. You know, did Dickerson also have a medical? He does. I would personally take the guy that comes in clean and healthy. I don't run the team, though. You know what I mean? Would I like to see, you know, is that a situation I'm looking at? Absolutely. But we've had good conversations with other teams, too. And you can look at and see, like, oh, well, Green Bay needs a center. Pittsburgh needs a center. Would Pittsburgh take a center at 24, though? Is that the value of the position? Or do they think they can get a center, you know, in the second round? Um, you know, could they, could they get somebody there? Would Creed be there in the second round? So they've got to do that analysis. You know, I know these teams all like him. Uh, how can you not? The guy hasn't given up in a sack in two years. He's as special as they come, and he checks every single box, right? Um, he's, you know, as I say, somebody that I think locks down your center position for the next 10 years and puts Pro Bowls on top of it. I think teams know that as well. But it just comes down to how they value the position. And sometimes teams will be like, well, center, we don't want to go center in round one. Uh, we'll see if one comes off the board tomorrow night. I think he's almost, you're almost fighting that as much as you're fighting how great Creed really is. Uh, I have no doubt whether he goes in the first or second, as I said, he's going to play a long time and be in lots of Pro Bowls. That's how good of a player, that's how much belief I have in him. Um, and we'll just see the situations. Uh, there's teams that definitely could use him. And, you know, he's had great conversations with those teams. It's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the value of positions because, you know, we talked about how some things have changed since you started. Like some positions now have less value than they did. Others okay. have way more than they did. How have you kind of navigated that? And has it been interesting to watch that play out? I always look at running back. You know, running back used to be mm -hmm. the thing that everyone talked about leading into the draft. And, and nowadays, sometimes... Uh, no player drafted in the first may not be. There's some really good backs this year, and we may not have a running back taken in the first round. Like to that end, you know, I'm an offensive line guy, honestly. And I know, I know, Gabe, you probably like hearing that, but like, like if I'm sitting there in Cincinnati and I'm pick five, okay, and you can get Jamar Chase, right? And he's he's been great, and him and Burrow are besties and the whole thing, right? But how do you not the size of the scar on Burrow's knee? How do you say, okay, our tackles aren't there? 
we could get a stud left tackle right now or start, you know, put him on the line. How do you not protect him and be like, okay, we drafted a, a receiver last year and pick one of the second round, right? We have Tyler Boyd. We've got decent receivers. You got Joe Mixon. How do you not shore up that line if you've got a franchise quarterback that's on a rookie deal? So to me, like I wouldn't even, you know, they might go with Chase, but I'm just saying for me personally, if I'm building a team, the value starts with the, with the line and out, you know, a kind of an Andy Reid philosophy, I guess. But basically that's where I'm starting. I'm, I'm looking at everything else as, you know, the home run running back. The game has definitely changed. And we've seen that change. Lane Johnson changed the right tackle position. The Eagles won a Super Bowl because why? Because even though they lost their starting quarterback, Foles had time and Lane was going one-on-one -on -one to get to that Super Bowl. He shut down Khalil Mack in his prime like nothing. He whipsawed Von Miller, sent him spinning, and took him one-on-one. -on -one. He would always take their best player, their best edge rusher, one-on-one. -on -one. Every Zach Ertz was free to roll around. They didn't have to chip. And all of a sudden, Eagles win the Super Bowl. And the right tackle position all of a sudden gets value. So all I'm saying is, is that, yeah, positions have definitely changed. The games have changed. Maybe it's the RPO stuff and all that kind of thing. But bottom line is, if I'm sitting there, I'm building, I'm building offensive defensive line, and then I'm going from there. That's just how I personally approach the game. Um, and as I look at some of the teams around the league, you know, uh, and, and with the center position, that's your leader. So hopefully somebody will see value in a center in the first round, and that could, be well, could bode well for Creed. Um, that's what I'm hoping for anyway, but we'll see. I'm not getting my hopes up too much, but I, if he's not off the board, you know, in the second, someone's really should be losing their jobs, you know, I'll, and I'm, I'm sure I'll lose my shit. If yeah, he doesn't come off the board in the second, I, mean, I will absolutely yeah. lose my shit. I mean, you and I both, but that's the, that's the thing in the draft. You know, there's a lot of people that think they're experts and there's a lot of jobs that turn over because they miss. I mean, you think about this, right? I was talking to this to uh, someone about this today, just a year ago, your former team game, took a first round pick that played four plays and is no longer on the team. Now we have all this like science. We have all this overkill with the wonderlicks and the psychologists that come in, but yet just last year, four plays, first round pick, not on the team. Right. It happens. It happens, man. <laughs> that, it, happens. That, it doesn't happen, but it does. I mean, it clearly it does. does. It just I happens. mean, it's amazing, right? It's, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, okay, one I mean, more, and we'll let you we'll let you uh, let you run, Ken, because I know you got to catch an early flight. Early, man. What, what's the draft day plan, man? I know that Creed, uh, although he'll yeah. be represented on the stage, the boys from Kings of Leon rocking the jersey. Yeah, awesome. I saw that. Yes. That's going to be awesome yes, for me. So, but didn't get the invite to Cleveland. So, what what's kind of the draft day plan? Well, flying to Oklahoma in the morning. Can't wait to get out there. Um, he's having, you know close family over to his house uh so we'll be there and uh our, our marketing guys got it uh, brian bradkey who's best in the business has him uh wing stop is catering it uh and creed's favorite beers will be on hand and it's just going to be a pretty chill event there's going to be uh i think uh, he'll be wearing the crocs there's no uh there's no three-piece suit in the humphrey household you know what i'm saying <laughs> i'll be uh, this agent will be wearing a t-shirt and he'll be uh he'll be rocking a gay biker like style you know what i mean so yeah, we're going to be nice and chill and relaxed and, and look at it as a celebration, I think. And, and that's really what it is, because this guy's going to have a great career, whether it's the first round or the second round. Uh, he's off to really good things. Bottom line. I can't wait for you to spend a couple of days in Shawnee, USA, Ooh, psyched, baby. Man. I am psyched. 
you know, Oklahoma is one of my happy places on this planet. So I'm very excited to come down there. I always have a good time. The great people in your state. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing everybody. You know? Ken, you're the man. And I the Thunder even you. won a game. So, you know what I mean? What, what's not to like? Life is Damn good right. Like Broke days. the losing right? streak, baby. Let's That's go. Right, man. That's right. Exactly. All right, man. Hey, appreciate the time. All right. Thank you, guys. Teddy, thank you so much, yeah, Gabe. Thank, thank you. you as always. Take care. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And make sure you connect with our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right, time for our winners and losers of the week. Teddy, as always, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I got to go with Dr. J. Did you see Dr. J's two teams, um, the, his two best teams that he would, he would put together? Um, team one, obviously Dr. J from the old school, bunch of old school players on there. Will, Bill Russell, um, Elgin Baylor. It's a really good group. Uh, on the second team, Magic, Bird, Jordan, Carl Malone. It's a really good group. Not present on either the first or the second team is LeBron James. Um, now I didn't necessarily put him on there because he didn't pick LeBron. I just, you, you've essentially pissed off the two best players, maybe in the history of the game. And I don't know who's more upset. Who do you think is angrier LeBron that he's not on the first or second team or Jordan because he's on the, on team two. Jordan. Jordan, like, I, I mean, after we all watched The Last Dance, we know that, it, like, anything that that man can hold on to and use as motivation, he's going to use it and almost be psychotic about it. Now, I guess he's still not he's not still playing, but I feel like... Well, what are the chances he signs himself to a, a quick little contract here to finish this, the rest of the season there with Charlotte? Oh, really? Second team, huh? Let me show you something real quick. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's past Jordan to try and come back, and prove that he's still got something. What do you think? And I know Jerry West is a hell of a player, right? 
Like he's the logo. We all like, and he's even probably more respected as an executive, maybe even as a player. But what do you think Jerry West's reaction was when he saw that? And he was like, Oh no, he put me on instead of Jordan. Oh, you got to be shitting me, Dr. J. What, what have you done? Right. Don't come on. Now, Jordan, because of Dr. J, is going to be pissed at Jerry West. That's just how it goes, right? That, that he made the list. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. To, as soon as I saw that, I mean, it's hard to argue with, with the list. I mean, I think the list is fine, but I just knew that the LeBron fans and LeBron ego is going to be pissed because everyone loves Dr. J and uh, same thing with Jordan and Jordan fans and himself. I did think, I don't know if you saw this, but one of the interesting results of this list was that Carl Malone was trending on Twitter. And for those of you that don't know, a lot of people are not big fans of Carl Malone because uh, I guess at some point he got like a 13-year-old pregnant. So that obviously bothers a lot of people, myself included. So Carl Malone's pissed at Dr. J too, huh? So I don't know. Carl <laughs> uh, Malone's a different dude. If you've ever heard him talk about anything, he's he's kind of a different guy, but... Yeah, so I was like, why is Carl Malone trending? And I saw the Dr. J list. I was like, oh, that's interesting, him, Bird. And I kept scrolling. I was like, oh, my God, what, what, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I, it was I, a lot. I did not know that. So uh, so everyone's pissed at Dr. J. That's why I've got him as the winner. I can, I can, yeah. So right now in the Twitter search bar, if you type in Carl Malone, the only two things that show up for me are Carl Malone and Child. Wow. I was like, oh. Yeah, some of that old stuff, you know, pre-social media days that was just rumor and some people knew about and others didn't know about. Yeah, those days are dead. You know, that that not anymore is, is that stuff just kind of flowed around out there. It's out there in the open. And wow. Allegedly. Never paid uh, child support either for that uh, for that whole situation. I was like, no, hang on a second. Here's the, one of those things where I'm like, <laughs> I, I, dude, I just all I know is what I read, man. That's all I know. If you pay the child support, aren't you incriminating yourself? I think we should move on. I think this is this is one of those things where it's like, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Like if you and I think the answer would be yes. Right. If you're like, yes, I'm the dad, and they're like, wait, she's thanks for your payment, Mr. Malone. We'll be escorting you to prison. Ah. That's a good point. A good point I had not thought about. I don't know. I don't know. That's once again, we need like a show lawyer. We need a we need a podcast lawyer. Now we we've got I, several. I have a feeling that the our podcast lawyer would typically respond with, "It's probably best just to move on." <laughs> yes, uh, it, it's probably uh, it's probably best we move on. Okay, who do you have as your loser of the week? Ooh, 
you may fall into this category, I, if I remember correctly. The people that love the four-team playoff, it comes out that they were talking about a 12-team playoff, Gabe? Ooh. 12 gonna, teams. That's going to be painful for some of those. Uh, it's going to ruin the regular season, folks. Okay. So I was thinking about it. And if they expand, because I believe it's Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel there at The Athletic put an article, said that momentum was building from the power brokers for a 12-team playoff. Which I was shocked by whenever I heard that. Right. And it it was because I think we all kind of were like, okay, yeah, it's going to be eight. And we'll go with it. But I kind of like 12. Right. And like, if we're not getting eight, I think 16 is too many. I think 12, where you've got four play in games to play the top four seeds. Right. So you have the eight teams in those four first round games. So that's eight. And then you have the four teams waiting on them. So that's total of 12. Right. Look at the math we're doing. Nice. That would be, that'd be kind of sweet. I mean, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, but you'd probably reseed it after the first round, I would assume, so that the one seed plays the lowest seed. I would think is how they would do it. Listen, I'm all for more football. I am. Uh, I'm all for getting more quality games, and I bet you those first round games would be awesome. No, I think so too. I I think the and we've talked about this before, but I think the more important games that you can have the less guys are going to opt out and not play in those games. And the less stars that opt out, the more sponsors are going to want to be a part of it. Um, So I just, I I think it helps everyone involved and the, all the teams that are in year in year out. I mean, and it's not like college football's ever been fair. We know that college football's never been fair. There's, There's a group of blue bloods, whatever you want to call them, that are always resources, recruiting, uh, whatever it is, are way ahead of the rest of the pack. But the playoff has made that even worse. So I do think that if you give more teams an opportunity, I think ultimately it's better for the entirety of the sport. Some fans don't care. It's like, I want my team in the playoff, the four-team playoff every year. I don't care what happens to the rest of college football. The rest of college football can shove off for all I care. You're going to have those fans. But I personally, I like it if there's more teams involved and um, more opportunity for for teams and players and coaches to put themselves out there. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And I was thinking about it because the goal is to keep more fans, more engaged, right? And to continue to bring new fans to the sport and grow the game of college football, right? And I don't think it's any secret that people are a little tired of the four and people check out earlier in the year. But if you do the 12, right, which it sounds like they're, it's kind of headed that way. Now, maybe they end up saying, hey, you know, eight's, eight's enough, but even with eight, but I think that makes the entire season 
more intriguing, not just the postseason, right? Because you talked about it le- last episode, Ted. They that that would probably encourage more teams to play better non-conference games because they won't be scared mm-hmm. to play good teams. Because if you win your conference, you'll be in in some form or fashion in that system. So we'll get better games at the start of the year. Then we'll get the conference slate that feels like it has more meaning because the conference race in the conference championship game is tied to the playoff for everyone. And then we'll get the awesome playoff. So all of a sudden, the fear is that the regular season will feel, feel like it doesn't matter as much, but it could actually just build the suspense even more leading up to the expanded playoff. I was thinking about it. I was like, this could be awesome. I, I'm with you. I, I will never understand the argument that the regular season means less if you expand the playoff. How is that the case? There's 130 Division I football teams. And four make it. Four. We're not talking about 60 teams make it like in NBA where more than half of the teams make the playoffs. We're not even talking about the NFL where it's nearly half with 14. We're talking about 8, 12. You're still, there's a tiny percentage of teams that are going to make it. And the other thing about the regular season, don't talk to me about how important the regular season is whenever we play Tulane, Western Carolina, and Nebraska, who are god-awful, all three of them, right? And, and, it's, and I don't mean to just pick on Oklahoma. There's countless schools across the country that have horrendous reg- – check out Clemson's regular season schedule next year. And talk to me about how important the regular season is. They don't play anyone. It's done. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm I was I was all about the four. Now I'm all about the expansion, baby. I've changed quick. Absolutely. Twelve? Sign me up. Give me all the football. Okay. I'll give you my winners and losers. But first, Riverwind. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in April from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $100,000 in cash and bonus play in Riverwind's baskets and cash promotion. If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com, Riverwind Casino, simply the one. And don't forget to send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. 
Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. So I thought about going with Conor McGregor because I saw that he sold a piece of his stake in proper number 12 Irish whiskey or whatever the hell it's called for like $600 million. And I was like, you know what? That's uh, that's pretty good. But I'm not a McGregor guy, so I can't make him my winner. I also thought about going with Saquon Barkley. Sounds like he's going to be back for the start of the season off the ACL, according to Adam Schefter. I even thought about us talking a little Kentucky Derby, oh. Eddie, because the the run, what is it, the race for the roses, the run for the roses? I've been to the Kentucky Derby, and I still don't remember the slogan, but there's a there's a horse called Hot Rod Charlie that I think is going to win, and the only reason I think that is because five guys that played football at Brown together they were like, hey, what's something that'll keep us close? So they bought a horse, and it turns wow. out this horse is awesome. So I'm kind of – they called the horse Chuck, too, which is tremendous. Love it. So I, I thought about going with the horse, and then we get some derby talk, but I was like, eh, you know. It's got to – the winner of the week's got to be the Oklahoma City Thunder. Teddy, uh. they were staring history in the face, and they said, no, sir. They said, absolutely not. We refuse to set the franchise record for consecutive losses. We draw the line at 14. Damn it. 14 is enough. We've had enough Boston Celtics. Now the Thunder turned the ball over way too much and made it entirely too interesting by turning it over late. I was like, wait, there's no way they can blow this game. But the indie, the, uh, the losing streak ends at 14 10. Let's freaking go. Are we happy about that? How do we feel? Are we, what, are we okay with it? What's the, what's the feeling here? I think 14 losses in a row is enough, right? <laughs> I, I mean, if, if you could tell, if you could tell any Thunder fan, hey, they're going to lose 14 out of 15. You'd be like, damn, really? But okay. Like you would you would almost be like, no, they're not. That's ridiculous. They're gonna luck into something. Something's gonna happen. No, that's a that's amazing. But and Boston, I mean, you know. They didn't have now the Celtics, now the Thunder still don't have Shea, which I don't know. Should we actually start being worried about the eh. whole foot thing? I'm not terribly concerned. He he seems he looks in fine. a good mood. Do you yeah. see that cardigan? My God, <laughs> look great. Looks looks spry and active on the sideline in that cardigan. Uh, the foot looks okay to us, but hey, we'll take the uh, medical professional's opinion on that whole thing. But the Celtics, they didn't have Jason Tatum. They didn't have Kimba. Uh, they didn't have Robert Williams, who has an incredible nickname. By the way, Teddy, his nickname is Time Lord. So if you ever hear that, you're like, who the hell are they talking about? It's Robert Williams for the Celtics is Time Lord. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why I, I call him time Lord. Like I know why that's one of those things. And I, I I will fully admit I do this. I will do something like that. I'll call someone by a nickname and not understand where that nickname comes from at all. I got no idea. And if you play it off and you use it properly, you sell it like you do know, and it's just fine. But if you don't fully commit to it, and you act, maybe there's a little bit of unsure. You're not, you're not 
decisive on it, then people can sniff you out. So I like I like your confidence in that. Time Lord. Okay. It's a lot though for a nickname. So I do remember this, but it turns out that his nickname Time Lord was given to him by Celtics fans in part based upon his timekeeping faux pas upon signing with the team. So, all right, there we go. Huh. There's there's your answer. It's not nice. very damn it. I wish I wouldn't have looked that up. That's not cool at all. I thought it was going to be a badass story. I regret that. But so the Celtics didn't have those guys and whatever. But if the Thunder are going to win games, I want it to be because the young guys that they're developing ball out. And, and that's what happened against Boston. Poku had some moments, probably most notably the one where he got kicked in the nuts, but still hit the shot there in the paint. That was that was funny. Uh, Baisley had 21 and 10. Lou Dort had 24 points. And it hit, his growth offensively continues to be, I think it's one of the best kept secrets in the NBA right now. I, I don't think people are talking nearly enough about the type of player that Dort has become on the offensive end of the floor. I mean, he's fantastic now. And I do also love the fact that I guess Dort found out the day of the game that they were in jeopardy of breaking the losing streak record. And he told Shea, he was like, no, we got to win this one, man. Absolutely not. And he went out and played Free that way. Speech. Dude. You think I he had a big him. one? Yeah. I do too. Big win. Absolutely huge. Massive, massive win. Okay. My loser of the week. I thought about going with Floyd, May Floyd Mayweather because he's going to fight Logan Paul in June. And I don't even I, I don't know anything about the oh. Paul brothers boxing abilities, but isn't Jake which one's more famous and better? I, I feel like I Logan think Logan I think Logan Paul's the the better one. Oh he is. Oh okay. I think so. Cause I don't I don't know why today I thought he was fighting Jake Paul. Uh and I was just like, dang, he's gonna fight everyone he can right here in a row. Nice. I don't blame him. Uh I think Logan Paul's better. But okay. I'm not sure. It still feels gross. Still feels gross. They're going to make so much money, though. Like, they're going to make he, a shit ton of money. Here's the thing. This is incredibly interesting to me. Because I hate Floyd Mayweather. I would, I would pay. If, I, if you could guarantee me that someone was going to beat Floyd Mayweather, I would pay almost an endless amount of money to watch it. Okay. But I refuse. I will not give Floyd Mayweather money, especially if he's going to win the fight and he's going to win this fight. So I will just wait and catch the highlights, I guess, but it is incredibly interesting. And it's incredibly sad that boxing has been reduced to Basically, celebrity deathmatch is really all that we are now. In God, what a reference! Celebrity deathmatch was the best. <laughs> Isn't that what really what it is though? It's just you know, there's no new boxers. We've got fifty five year old guys out there fighting each other in like an exhibition. I feel bad for boxing fans. I really do. Yeah, I I'll probably watch that, but I'm not paying for it. You know what I'm saying? You know, no, I, I hear you. You can find it. 
There's also, no one on this planet less deserving of the, their money than Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Well, maybe there is, but you know, probably he's, he's up there. He's up there. So I also thought about going with NFL draft analysts, the ones that have to do the mock drafts. Like there's a ton of pressure on those people. It's very stressful. And then Teddy Bridgewater gets traded from the Panthers to the Broncos. And I can just imagine some guy has burned through like five of the seven rounds. And then the trade comes through in the middle of it. He's like, Oh my God. It just has like a small (laughs) panic attack. But my loser of the week is the NCA board of governors because they decided unanimously to extend Mark Emmert's contract. Just a reminder, Mark Emmert doesn't run the NCA. He's the president, but the board of governors does. And those people are presidents of universities. They are very smart, intelligent people. Emmert is their fall guy, but he is also the face of the NCA. Let's be real. So it is so on brand that they snuck snuck this in in that press release. And I believe the section said other news or something like that. And it, it was just so on brand for the NCA and the leadership. It's almost like they hope no one would see it or even notice. But my favorite part of the entire press release was they've got this big section about adapting name, image, and likeness rules, you know, modernizing that. But in the same release, they gave a contract extension to the guy that has completely mishandled the name, image, and likeness issue. I mean, you you just look at it. He is, he's mishandled it so badly that now there's all kinds of legislation in all kinds of states, right, at the local level. And now the federal government, is involved and Emmert's asking the federal government to save his ass on this whole thing. And that doesn't even factor in the blunder he just had at the women's basketball tournament in the bubble with the whole weight room thing, which was incredibly embarrassing for the NCA. So I don't blame Mark Emmert. He's the fall guy. Now I, I don't think he's very great at what he does, or at least, people that are kind of dialed into those industries seem to really hate him. But the NCAA board of governors said they must not talk to their athletic directors or their conference commissioners because those people, they, they are not Mark Emmert fans, but he gets a contract extension. So what do I know, man? I, I saw this and I was just like, really? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. My favorite band, Tool, has a song on one of their albums called Useful Idiot. <laughs> and that's kind of what Mark Emmert is, right? And it's, it's the same thing in the NFL with Roger Goodell. Everyone hates Roger Goodell, feels like he totally mishandles almost everything. But the owners like it because he catches all the arrows. You know, he's, he's the guy that, that catches everyone's frustration and anger. Uh, that's really what Mark Emmert is. I call him Mark Blockbuster Emmert because with the name, image, and likeness thing, he's just sat back and watched everything unfold, thinking that, no, everything is fine here. Nothing is screwed up. 
we're everything's just going to work itself out and everything passes them by. And now we're ta- people are talking about like seriously considering like division one football, just being like power five football, just being like, you know, we could do this thing ourselves. Why don't we just do this thing ourselves and just pass the NCAA by? So uh, I, I'm, I'm totally with you, but I think it's calculated in a sense that you said it, he's the fall guy. Do these university presidents just not care about sports or I, it's just, it's just so confusing, man. (laughs) But you were talking about everything changing around him and him being like this, this is fine. I can just think of that, you know, that meme with the dog (laughs) in the house around it's on fire. Right. right. No, we, we don't need name, image, and likeness. Uh, amateur athletics. That's what the NCAA is. Yeah. Yeah. God, what a joke. And on that note, episode 107 in the books, we'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. We will recap the hell out of the NFL draft on that one. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.